The spin is supported by NatWest. Why? Because NatWest loves cricket. The skills it teaches and the communities it creates and want it to be easy for everyone to get involved. To find out about how NatWest is helping make cricket open to all, search NatWest Cricket. It's the spin! When I was a teenage girl and I was um, trying to get into cricket and really didn't know anything about it, I went to the bookshop to try and find something that would teach me all the things I needed to know. And uh, I found something, and it was a book called What is a Googly? And the author of it is going to be in the room with me today. I'm really excited about this episode, and I hope you are too. It's the... It's the... It's the... It's the... It's the spin! Welcome to The Spin. After some one-sided games at the start of the tournament, the World Cup has come alive. Now that we've seen every team in action, who's got one hand on the trophy? And who's got one foot on the plane home? We'll put your questions to the man who literally wrote the book on how to understand cricket. And we'll ask, what's the most annoying noise you can be sat next to during a game? It's the spin! I'm Emma John and this is The Spin, our summer-long celebration of cricket. And yes, you should have had your tickets for it in the post by now. But don't worry, if not, we'll let you print them at home. I'm very excited to welcome two debutantes to the team today. Appearing at the Guardian Oval for the first time, we have cricket author Rob Easterway, whose book What is a Googly has been demystifying cricket for generations. It was, in fact, the first cricket book I ever owned. So, Rob, thank you for being the person who explained the LBW law to me. <laughs> thank you for reading it. <laughs> also receiving his first cap, comedy writer John Harvey, who, according to Armando Iannucci, is always funny. I think we'll be the judge of that. John, you were recently revealed by this very news organisation to be Lord Buckethead, who lost to Theresa May in the 2017 general election. As a cricket fan, you didn't consider being Lord Bucket hands? But no, I did, I did not. <laughs> Thanks for having me on for a start. No, my cricket-related aspects of Lord Buckethead were basically the fact that I had to wear cricket pads uh, in New Zealand colours for a month uh, following <laughs> Theresa May around. So I thought, I thought that, was, that was enough of that. She probably appreciated the effort... I'm sure she did. She might not have shown it visibly, but I'm sure deep down she was loving every minute of it. As ever, we have a seat reserved for my personal cricket hero, Mike Atherton. If you're listening, Michael. John, I know that you are also a fan of Athers, and I was going to actually ask you to run us through your cricket credentials, but I feel like first I should ask you to run us through your cricket T-shirt that you're wearing. Oh, right, yes. This is my favourite cricket T-shirt, actually. It's just a bunch of numbers and dots, and to most people it's complete gobbledygook, but it's actually the entire Australian innings from <laughs> Trent Bridge. <laughs> on that lovely morning in 2015 yeah. which I thought they were going to replicate yesterday when um, uh, the Windies were going through the Murley doors I was really hoping that this is just what happens when Australia bat first at Trent Bridge now <laughs> but sadly not um, for me anyway but no no yeah this is, this is just a, a, a nice little purple number I've got on as for Athers yeah I mean what a ledge were you always a fan ever a player? I was a player, even though my first uh, inklings of cricket would make most people be put off for life. My first ever game, I was 11 at school, went out to bat and my own teacher gave me out LBW in the first ball I faced ever, which I, I've coined a, a platinum duck for that. I don't know if anyone else has ever been out uh. their first ball of their life <laughs> and the entire team was out for 19. So uh, that would have put many people off, but uh, no, I carried on going. I still play occasionally with some friends. We had we played a game the other day, a debutant was, was in there and he was standing outside his crease and he was stumped 
first ball, never played before, but we we just feigned it was a no ball. He came back in, lasted another six balls, but hopefully that's retrieved him. Right, see, that's chivalry, right? You, you think for 11-year-olds, and besides, I'm sure it was going down leg anyway. I can remember it very clearly. <laughs> We normally start off with a loosener on this podcast just to get ourselves warmed up. Well, since we've got Rob's lovely new book here, I wanted to ask you, for someone who's never read a cricket book before, could you both suggest a good one to start with? Okay. Rob? Uh, so, uh, of course, you could get very cerebral about this, how to get, get into the depth and the wisdom of cricket and something like CLR James and Beyond the Boundary and so on. But actually, I would really want to get someone into the eccentric humour and just the joy of cricket and its difference from everything else. And I love Rain Men by Marcus Berkman, which... It's a just, fantastic book. Yeah, and it's, and it's just such a, you know, the, the joy of being different and discovering other people who get it like you do. Yeah. And what it's like being a club cricketer and the fact you don't have to be brilliant at cricket to still experience all the emotions and so on. The only thing against it is it's now 20-odd years old, so some of the examples which make me laugh, like references to little Harry Pilling and stuff, maybe won't resonate quite so much if I'm giving it to a teenager, but still, that's my favourite. Again, one of the first cricket books I read and absolutely has inspired me for a very long time. Always, I've always wanted to just write like Marcus. He's a brilliant writer. <laughs> that's a great choice. But I've gone for something even well far less cerebral, if I'm honest. I went to my first ever cricket book that I got, which was uh, Bunbury Tales, the... Uh, cartoon rabbit cricket team and I thought if you're going to introduce anyone to uh, cricket why not um, do it through the magic of the Bunburys <laughs> Ian through the magic of rabbits yes exactly I mean they even had a theme tune by Barry Gibb what's not to like do look it up on YouTube it's really weird um, we've got Marcus Bertman coming on a future episode I wonder if we need to get some uh, cricket playing rabbits somehow uh, and Barry Gibb please <laughs> <laughs> We'll try for that. So we are going to get into the World Cup in just a moment. But I want to start by mentioning the England women's team who got their summer off to a great start yesterday. They trounced the West Indies in Leicester, bowled them out for 110 and won the first of their three ODIs by 208 runs. The squad for Games 1 and 2 was announced on Tuesday. And here it is. Heather Knight, captain, obviously, Tammy Beaumont, Catherine Brunt, Kate Cross, Sophie Eccleston, Alex Hartley, Jenny Gunn, Amy Jones, Laura Marsh, Nat Siver, Anya Shrubsoll, Sarah Taylor, back wicketkeeping, Fran Wilson, Lauren Winfield and Danny Wyatt. Guys, there are some household names in mm. that England women's squad now. Who is your favourite in the England women's team? Well, I've got two on my list. I mean, Sarah Taylor is just fantastic to have her back. She's just a great cricketer, but her wicket-keeping is just a joy to watch. Sort of like watching, you know, some of the greats, the Alan Knotts and the Jack Russells and so on, just the slickness, the fastness. But I also, I love Nat Siver and the fact that she invented a stroke, the Nat Meg, which involves her leaning forward and clipping the ball between her legs to square leg. Delightful. And I, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know if she's still playing it. I, I haven't seen any blokes play it, but I might even try it myself next weekend. <laughs> John, what about you? Well, I don't want to sound too um, repetitive, but I have to agree in time. I'm a huge Nat Siver fan. For a number, I just think she's got that bit of stardust about her. And honestly, not many players can claim to have invented a shot. I mean, maybe KP with the switch hits. We'd probably associate that with him. Dil Dilshan with the dill scoop. The dill scoop, mm, right. Mm. But, but I honestly think if Virat Kohli had done the Nat Meg in a, a World Cup match, we would be talking about it as the shot of the century. Yeah. It is brilliant and apparently I, I watched a video about it online where she says she sort of invented it by accident in the nets and then had the audacity to do it in a, in a match after that it's just 
amazing. I mean, add to that, I, I looked up her stats. She's got, in ODI, she's got a batting average over 30, bowling average under 30. She's been one of Wisdom's five cricketers of the year and she's a Surrey captain. So um, what more do you want? This England team's batting is pretty spectacular at the moment. I think they scored 318 yesterday, I think it was. And personally, my favourite at the moment, Amy Jones, mm-hmm. who scored 91 of 99 balls yesterday. She is, she's putting in some big hits. I mean, she is unafraid to go over the top on a regular basis and I I think she's very exciting to watch and, and on the bowlers by the way I should uh, honourable mention for Anya Shrubstock because I was at mm. that 2017 World Cup final and her death bowling mm. against India was just sublime mm. it was brilliant so I mean they're a team full of stars really aren't they yeah they are I mean is it a shame therefore that these ODIs have been scheduled against the World Cup and there was very few people at the game yesterday but it, equally it's kind of not something that people are going to be tuning into on the TV when there's another two or three games going on competing with everything and on satellite too. I mean it's just tough on on all cricket really to be but yes competing with football as well which is always a tragedy in the cricket season but at least social media and everything else you you get clips you get a sense of it going on but it's not the same as watching it in full and ironically there's now a women's football world cup as well yeah. to take some <laughs> of the the, the light, light yes. and heat out of it I mean, it's it's a shame in the sense because that, that World Cup final was a sellout at Lords. Mm. I really thought that was a game changer. Mm. And the, they, the authorities do need to do something to make sure that the momentum keeps up because it's sport played at such a high level and it just needs an audience. I think the women's ashes is in between the World Cup and the men's ashes. So people will be wanting something to tune into in mm. that entire two-week gap or whatever it is that comes between the two tournaments. So on to the World Cup. Since India finished their post-IPL holiday on Wednesday, we've seen every team play at the tournament now. So who has caught your eye so far for better or for worse? John? I've got a smorgasbord of favourites already, actually. I mean, yesterday, I thought Andre Russell and Sheldon Cottrell both looked like they could have a really big World Cup. Cottrell's catch mm. was fantastic. I mean, just describe that catch for us for, for anybody who hasn't seen it yet. It yeah. was it was sensational. I mean, it wasn't quite as as athletics as Stokes last week against South Africa, but it was close. And the way he he basically. Uh, was run- he was running towards the ball on the boundary, had to sort of launch one arm up high and the ball just literally landed in it precisely the right moment. But his momentum almost took him out of the boundary and so he had to then throw the ball back inside and he had the presence of mind. He must have had milliseconds to make that decision yeah. to do that and had and threw it to himself so calmly. It was just an absolutely beautiful piece of fielding. So that was great. But Andre Russell's bowling, and he was basically injured as well, was absolutely fantastic. You could see the Aussie batsmen were genuinely scared of him. And I think we all, now that well, none of us are like our dear friend Athers having to face them anymore, we all want to see hostile Windy's quicks because it's so exciting. And here's a guy who I think actually does trouble the best batsman yeah did you enjoy the game yesterday Rob what bits of it I saw and that catch you know was fantastic but I mean I was thinking uh, you know what stood out for me generally in this World Cup is the catching and the dropping and in order <laughs> to appreciate a lot of both in, in order to appreciate great catches it's good to see a good drop and David Miller of South Africa dropping Rohit Sharma Rohit took a big swing at it top edge went to David Miller at extra cover 
He stood under it and it hit his hands and dropped out. And uh, it was described as the easiest catch that he dropped. And I just like to reflect on this. You know, I play for two cricket teams, one called the Mandarins, one called Heber Dads. And between us, we've dropped 28 catches so far this season. And I can assure you, all of them were easier than that one. And the difference is he actually got in the right place, stood under it, did everything right, and then it bounced out of his hands. Whereas for us, we'd have been running around, trying to get underneath it, would have dropped two or three feet behind us. It is funny. We do expect now these kind of superhuman efforts of fielders in general at the international level. That's right. And there was a strange moment in the that Bangladesh-New Zealand game where last Wednesday I was at that. And it possibly could have cost Bangladesh the match where there was a run-out opportunity and the keeper clipped the bails off before the ball had arrived. And the fans around me were spitting feathers about how useless that was as a piece of cricket and you think I mean in that pressure like that's I'm sure I would have done that like 99,999 times out of 100,000 it's it was absolutely again a millisecond moment of cricket and yet it looks ridiculous because we hold them up to such high scrutiny let's talk about that Bangladesh match because I was also at that against the match against South Africa and it's Bangladesh's second great game of the tournament. In fact, they've played in two of the best games of this World Cup. It's really exciting to see them giving teams that are supposedly title contenders really hard times, first beating South Africa, then pushing New Zealand really hard, making them look incredibly nervy. How do you guys feel about Bangladesh? Are you, you excited by them, Rob? To be honest, kind of not yet. It's still, they're still a bit below the... They're still, I'm, I'm just feeling oh, nervous. So I'm feeling harsh. nervous because that game's coming up, but they're still below the radar for me. I haven't... You know, I've been looking at Afghanistan and just about every other team. So it's, it's going to hit me like a brick wall when we struggle, if we struggle against Bangladesh. Which I think we might do, actually. I mean, looking at them... I mean, I, I always like in a World Cup, whether it's football or cricket, whatever, the under-the-radar teams, whether it's like Cameroon or Nigeria in the World Cup. And I think Bangladesh have got that bit of mystery about them that I like. I mean... Shakib is already, if you're doing a fancy team, one of the star players already. Shakib Al-Hassan, Shakib Al-Hassan their, their yeah. left arm spinning all-rounder who mm. has, he starred for them in both of these games so far. Yeah, that's right. But I like some of their, their sort of less sung players like uh, Mossadegh, the spinner, whose figures aren't that great already, but he got two really important wickets against New Zealand and he was so tight bowling. He, he contributed to them feeling like they might choke because they just could not get him away. And he's one to watch, I think. I think he might have a good World Cup if Bangladesh can get some momentum going. Mm-hmm. Well, the other thing is that their openers haven't fired yet. They've had some great middle-order batting, but there's this opener, Sumia Shaka. He looks amazing. He looks like the flair player of this tournament, but he just keeps getting out after scoring a kind of fantastic 20 or something and I think once Tamim and Sumia start firing Bangladesh are going to be a really scary prospect yes and let's hope that's not against England (laughs) (laughs) what about New Zealand they've won two from two admittedly a little nervily against Bangladesh their bowling is looking excellent isn't it Rob I am surprised more people weren't talking about New Zealand before this World Cup they always better than people think they're going to be and they've got great bowling and batting and you know it's partly because people like Williamson they're a bit unassuming he's such a great batsman and I'm really nervous about New Zealand they're sort of one of my from the start ink in for the semi-finals that leaves three places left for us to fill I think you're right Kane Williamson Ross Taylor I think I think people now that McCullum's not playing Mm. people seem to think oh you know they're busted flush they're not the same as they were but if they can sort of shake off the chokers tag which I mean it took the rugby team years to do that but eventually they did if they find their confidence they're going to be really hard to stop because Henry looks like a real handful Trent Bolt 
bowling great and he's, he's not even their first choice bowler now he's bowling the second Matt uh, Henry currently leading wicket taker of the tournament with 7 for 76 off 16.2 mm. overs mm. and so, they're looking like kind of it, when they bowl it's almost like you're watching test match bowling it's really tight but it's also really dangerous mm. I really do fit where, where is the England New Zealand game do we know I, it's England's last game takes place on 3rd of July at Chesterley Street well that's going to get rained off there yeah. <laughs> yeah, that might save, get us a point but that's that's scary if that's our last game because a lot could ride on that if we have to beat them to get into the semis that'd be a hell of a game but you know what a strange thing that beating South Africa in the first game was great but I began to have this feeling of oh but we're just going to walk it and almost a bit of the excitement went off then we lose the second game and suddenly I feel really quite nervously excited as England fans always do and it's it's it could be really dramatic those last few games we've got the big ones right at the end so mm. should we give a begrudging shout out to Australia who mm. have also won two of their games mm. the 11 headed Hydra I really did think yesterday when they were 40 odd for four and 80 odd for five or whatever I thought ah this is it good and uh, and then you know Someone else comes out. It's Coulter Niles, his best ever score. Was it one of the best scores by a number eight batsman? So you kind of think, oh, no, please, not, not another one. <laughs> um, I thought they set a really good total in the end. So, but it's kind of exciting, isn't it? When Australia are doing well, you kind of think... It bigs everything up. It's not exciting when Steve Smith's batting. <sighs> well, pretty sure. It, but they, as you say, they are dangerous, and it would be weird if it was a World Cup and they weren't playing mm. well. So it, it feels like the World Cup's arrived because Australia have arrived, and it means that we get the pantomime villain mm. aspects of, of mm. Warner and Smith because. I think if they were losing it wouldn't be mm. that much of a drama but mm. I mean even players like Zampa who you look at it you think he's not really turning the ball very much but the West Indies batsmen are really struggling mm. against him mm. so they're a good looking side I, I mean I would say they've got to be favourites for me at the moment yeah interesting well I think we can agree it's a pretty exciting tournament so far and it's I think it's only going to get better but let's take a little trip back to 1992 another year for a famously exciting World Cup in 1992 Rob wrote a book called What is a Googly? The Mysteries of Cricket Explained that aimed to explain the game to total newcomers, which at the time included me. 27 years later, he's published a new edition and he's had to add quite a lot since then. (laughs) Everything from T20 to women's cricket. You've even managed to get the 100 into there, I noticed. Yeah, they mentioned, yes, yes. I mean, your publisher must have left that open for you very late. (laughs) Yeah, we still don't actually know what the 100 will be, but I thought, you know, if I put a vague description in there, that's about where the ECB are on it, I think. So you you say women's cricket. Was Rachel Hayhoe Flint not in What is a Googly? She she, was, actually. She she, ah. she, she got a copy, but but, but definitely women's cricket was a very different beast then and um, people knew that it happened but it was so different from that's all I knew as a kid mm. just with those three words Rachel <laughs> and Flint did you know where the hyphen came though that's, that's I d- I d- everywhere <laughs> lots of hyphen <laughs> so my question for both of you is going to be what would you like to change back to the way that things were at the start of the 90s John, you're a child of 90s cricket. You're rubbing your hands in glee already at the thought I've of this. I've got such a shopping list for those. <laughs> yeah, likewise, likewise. I mean, for me, for a start, obviously, terrestrial TV, which by all accounts, the 100 is going to bring back, but not in the way we used to know it with uh, Tony Lewis and Jack Bannister. So I'd I'd have a very staid traditional BBC coverage for a start. I totally agree with you. I think one of the things I miss the most is that BBC commentary and, and specifically the fact that it was barely there. That's the thing I really miss every time I hear Rob Key bantering on for overs and overs at a time I think back to the time when 
in the early 90s, you, you would have county cricket would just come on during the day. It was literally like wallpaper because nobody would say anything for 10 minutes at a time. Absolutely. The other thing which the uh, commercial broadcasters all have to do is they have this tick where at the end of every over they have to say the score, which gets quite annoying because you then you're like, is there going to be a break? Is there going to be a break? Oh, it's a car advert. And with the BBC, it was so much more organic. They didn't have to worry about that. I mean, the score was there. You could see it on the screen. That's all you need. And Richie Benno famously said, the art of commentary is knowing when not to speak. Yeah. And that was something that the old fashioned commentary used to get beautifully. So that's my first one anyway. Absolutely. I would, I would also bring back with that longer test series. So at the moment, you know, basically it's only India and Australia who get the longer series. And when was our last five match series over here against the Windies? You know, those, mm. those were the days. Mm. Overweight bits and pieces players. I miss them. <laughs> They were everywhere in the county scene. But for me, that was part of what cricket was. You know, the players who you'd need to hide in the field, but perhaps it could come in and biff, you know, re- in those days, what would be a really, you know, sort of belligerent inning. So yeah. those, those sorts of guys. They really used to kind of tie international cricket back to village cricket, didn't they? They were kind mm. of the missing link between mm. those two things. Exactly. And, and definitely exposed by the uh, coloured kits because uh, they, they, <laughs> yeah. they, they were never quite in their size. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't look True good in polyester. Tail- tail-enders. Alan Malone. Phil Tufnell, you know, the ones who genuinely were scared of the ball and were backing away. Those eccentricities. Even our tail enders are a lot better now. Yeah. In England especially. I mean, our tail used to start at number eight, didn't it? And uh, I was thinking three. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was being generous. <laughs> being generous. <laughs> and my other one, actually, was, um, and this is going back to when I was a kid, early 90s, was um, that when there were only a limited number of bat manufacturers. Yes. I loved that. Basically, you could, it was like Formula One cars in that there were a few and you'd have your favourite. Yes. So, like, you'd have have um, Grey Nichols Grey Nichols obviously Atherton yeah. so that was always my favourite yeah Gunnar yeah. Moore was Gatting you had Stuart Surridge was Gooch with his SS Turbo Duncan Fernley was Ian Botham and Slazenger was Viv Richards you just knew the brand from the batsman and as a kid that it made you sort of I want that bat because that's what that batsman uses and it's not like that really anymore you see a few sort of Grey Nichols here and there but it's yeah. far more bespoke isn't mm. it yeah what about you Rob what do you miss Okay, another huge thing. I miss a summer of cricket which has a narrative and a structure that I understand and that doesn't change every year. So I like the fact... I I like having test matches in the summer, not in the spring and in the autumn, like in June and July and August uh, during the school holidays, not like the Oval Test last year where I took my son. Alistair Cook's last innings was a fantastic day. Kids were one pound... You know, we stood in the queue. Uh, Adam got his uh, got the autograph. He was the only child in the crowd. Really? Because it was a Monday. It was a school day, and he only came because he got on the bus from school and see, he caught the. He didn't see the innings, but he he saw the evening session. So September test match has become a kind of a norm now and it's we all know that's football season two so so that's one one thing I, I think you're right about like cricket sort of stretching out for me one of the things I really miss were the there were these longers between the end of a, an English season and the start of whatever happened overseas and it was it was it felt mm. like a really long time you know you'd see your last test match at the end of August and you might know that you're not gonna see England perform again until December maybe if they were going to Australia 
and it really added to to how much I loved the game because there was that there was a long ache yeah. <laughs> of waiting to see my players again and I would fill it with reading books and reading newspaper reports and wanting to know everything that they were up to absolutely and particularly with the test series those back-to-back tests which is now almost powerful every time now you must have it's rarer to get the breaks between the tests mm. than not but in the old days there was always the week on week off yeah. week on week off and I remember as a kid as mm. you say you had that week of pouring over the papers yeah. and in those days of course choosing your England 11 and everyone's 11 would be different because everyone was trying to find a quick fix to, to sort of solve <laughs> these calamitous problems in the team again sorry Athers no disrespect um, but um, yeah I, I completely agree with you it's 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 like a non-stop circus and the hundred's going to make it even more so yeah. I mean how on earth do they fit all these tournaments in well, well I mean bizarre thing about adding the hundred which is supposed to simplify the game and make it easier to understand how in any way when you add a fourth format do we explain it to someone coming in saying well of course the reason is no one understands 2020 so uh, we'll knock 20 balls off i mean last year in terms of of structure we had uh, pakistan and india but tucked in the middle who remembers we had the australians for a one day series what was the point of that? Well, it, the point of that was to thrash them 5-0. <laughs> I think you'll fire up. The point of yeah. that was just to have a really good old laugh. But, yeah, but well. depressingly, I forgot we beat them 5-0, yeah, which makes yeah. your point. Yeah. I mean, oh, God, that's depressing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Let's finish on a positive, though. What's got better since the early 90s? John? <laughs> well, I mean, to go on what, Rob, you were saying about formats, I mean, I think we have to say 2020 has been a massive success but I agree with what you say about these the sheer number of formats now is mad I don't think there is another sport really certainly not a team sport that is split into quite so many odd ways you could argue rugby particularly with this rugby x format that's coming later this year but it, this gives me a crazy idea which would actually mean that abolishing the cricket world cup so bear with me on this <laughs> which is just that the, it, 2020 has been so successful is there a case for simplifying things and the cricket world cup becomes two innings of 2020 mm interesting because it would be quicker because it would be mm-hmm. 40 overs a side instead of 50 and it would allow the ebb and flow of a two innings match which because sometimes obviously t20 can sort of be over in a blink of an eye and i think that make, could make it even more exciting so that's my tip for the future i mean i think we need to get you into the ecb offices stat. bring it ed smith you know where i am <laughs> <laughs> rob what, what about you what do you like since the 90s i like the fact that lords has fantastic drainage now so you don't have days like <laughs> drainage. Where where it's sunny outside and you sit there for hours on end with the umpire saying there'll be another inspection and then finally it's called off and in the days when you got no refund potentially further back I mean horrendous and actually something else leg spin if you think back early 90s it was Abdul Qadir Shane Warne changed it and I did a count up of this World Cup I think there's six googly bowlers in the World Cup leg spin is now it's an important thing and give me leg spin any time over right arm off spin just slinging it in Michael Yardy's darts yeah. <laughs> yeah no fun in that but just to say on that subject of uh, technology and what Sky's done I was just thinking yesterday when I was watching the match just how much we take for granted Hawkeye now and mm. I remember when that came in and people were like oh this is this is silly this is this is just a complete fad and how can you possibly know and now we completely take it for granted that that technology is right and it works and I think that has completely changed the game and no one would say 
I wish the game didn't have it. Was cricket better in the early 90s? And what would you bring back? Let us know. You can tweet me at M underscore John. Yes, there is an underscore in my Twitter handle. Get over it. Or email us, thespin at theguardian.com. Still to come, we put your cricket questions to Rob. And plenty of this. It's the spin! When Utoxeter Cricket Club had to leave their beloved grounds of 60 years, it looked like it might be the end for the area's only club. Enter NatWest Cricket Force, an initiative created to support community clubs across the country. They helped them make a new home in a former cricket ground, breathing new life into the space and the team. Why? Because NatWest believes cricket should be easy for everyone to play. It's paired up with the Guardian Labs to tell more stories about experiences like these. Read them at theguardian.com forward slash natwest dash cricket. This message was paid for by NatWest. This is The Spin, the sort of still new cricket podcast from The Guardian. I'm Emma John and my guests are cricket author Rob Easterway and comedy writer John Harvey. With Rob on the podcast this week, we asked for your questions on Twitter and you didn't disappoint. The wonderful thing about this game is that no matter how long you've been in love with it, there's always more to learn. So here, let's put some questions to you, Rob. Uh, This one is from Ashley. Why is being knocked out for no runs referred to as a duck? Good question. I'm pretty confident that it's because a zero is very close to the shape of a duck's egg. So that is why it's called a duck. And in the same way, they reckon that in tennis, when you're, it's love, 30 love, love is a corruption of luff, which is the egg. So same idea. That makes a lot of sense to me. Catherine asks, are there gender-neutral versions of cricket terms, such as batsman or third man? Well, Catherine, we can tell you that in the new edition of What is a Googly, (laughs) batsman has been replaced as a term by batter. Batter. You've made that decision, haven't you? Yeah, I've made that decision. It's a tough one because batsman is the word that naturally comes out. And and still in a lot of girls' cricket and women's cricket, batsman is, is also used. But increasingly, batter... Feels right. I mean, my biggest resistance to batter was actually that it makes me think baseball. That, yeah. That's really it. But I don't know what's happening about third man. I had this discussion with Jeff Lemon recently. Mm. Apparently, deep third is now the preferred use in order to be completely inclusive and gender neutral. Mm. Jonathan Agley made a point recently, but so he was very sniffy about the word batter for that same reason. But I think everyone's realised that why not really? I, and I think you just get used to when you say it after a while. And if you're talking about especially a historic figure. You know, I think Donald Bradman would probably always have been a batsman, but increasingly we'll just get used to it. And I'm sure my kids' batter would be the word they would use. Also, you can't go, hey, batsman, 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 batsman. <laughs> and also, like it's, it's never been bowl man. Mm. So it's actually, it's more, uh, it's That's nicely consistent that it's batter and bowler rather than but, bowl man or bowl woman. But if, if there's one sport you don't look for consistency, it's cricket. I mean, the whole thing is a complete mess of, of all these eccentricities is worked into, you know, you don't push too far to say, oh, of course it's logical, but, yeah. but you're right. Another question from Sam Webster. I love this one. This is my favourite question. How come they always seem to be stood where the balls hit to? I mean, Sam is obviously <laughs> talking about the fielders. Uh, Sam, I totally get that. I remember when I first started watching cricket, I thought, why don't they just hit it around the fielders? <laughs> there always seems to be somebody there. Yeah, it's, it's good, isn't it? And uh, I suppose we're selectively noticing when that happens. But yeah, of course, the art of field placement and bowling to your field and everything else, that's what, you know, 
blokes, no fielders on the leg side because actually it's really hard to pull the ball, you know, from outside off like that to the leg side. But also, of course, the fielders do move. It might look sometimes, especially if you see on a village game, like they're all just standing still, but you are supposed to walk in and therefore the ball starts coming towards you, you can actually cover quite a lot of distance and suddenly the ball's come straight to you, apparently. Yeah. And also, of course, when you're watching proper cricket on the TV, you realise you're seeing something played at such a high level that the captains genuinely know what they're doing Mm. (laughs) and they actually put players where they're pretty sure the batsman's most likely to try and hit it because they've worked them out and they've Mm. worked their plans. Whereas, you know, when you play in a a, a village green, I mean, the batsman's got no idea where he's (laughs) going to hit it to. (laughs) And the the, the captains aren't exactly uh, devising plans. For the legs, so it's a, they it's, haven't been studying the video of last last yeah, week's exactly. game. So it's a slightly different sport at that level. So it, that's what's so astonishing, isn't it? Mm. That the captains do. I mean, we always mock them when they go, "Oh, you haven't got a slip in, or you just took the slip out." But actually, the incredible thing is just how often the captains get it right. Emily asks, in England's first game of the World Cup, someone bowled a ball that knocked the bail up in the air. The lights came on to show it was out, but then it fell back into place. Why wasn't that out? No one seemed to explain. I think she's talking about Adil Rashid here. Mm. And there's been a few. I think the ball clipped the stumps yesterday for the West Indies. Was it Chris Gale? Anyway, it's just that is the law that the bail has to be displaced. So it's what it is one of those things. I think we've got when to, you say di- displaced, I, I the bail uh, sorry, has to come sorry, off and, 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 and stay off. Yes, stay off and the stay stumps, off. the top of the stumps. Um, but it, it is. I think the bales have got heavier, haven't it? Because they've got these lights in or whatever. I bet they're no longer a light bit of willow or whatever it's made of. They do seem so, this World yeah. Cup to be a little bit harder to dislodge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's part of the bowlers' union. I'm very unhappy about that. But I think the lights have made it more complicated because I think fans now think when it lights up, you're out. Yeah. And mm. and it's a problem with the technology. What you need is a little flicking device built into the stump that as soon as it's touched, it it just fires it off. Yeah, exploding stumps. Exploding stumps, exactly. <laughs> make it work. I just wonder whether there's a, there's a way they can make it a bit clearer for the crowd. I don't know, because I think, I think that's a really, really good point that mm. audiences might think that you're out when you're not. Strange. Sadly, Rob can't be here every week to answer your questions, but do keep them coming in and we will do our best to answer them. Cricket fans are brilliant. When you compare the football supporters in Portugal this week with the friendly multicultural crowds we've had at the World Cup matches, it certainly makes you proud to be one. But sometimes you can get stuck next to the wrong fan for an entire day. John is smiling at me because he was at a game this week where that happened to him. So uh, let's talk about this. I'd like to know what's the worst noise to be sat next to at a game of cricket? John, I know this is a sensitive topic for you. Yes. So basically, this isn't the first time this has happened, but it's definitely the worst time it's happened. I was at the Bangladesh-New Zealand match and a lot of people seem to have been given these inflatable bats which are these sort of long rods that they inflate with their own air and and then they bang them together all the time. <laughs> and I do mean all the time. I mean, this was like in between overs, during drinks breaks, constantly. It seems to have nothing to do with the action going on in the ground. Just to give people at home a little taster of this, we've actually got a clip of this sound that we can play now. <laughs> sound 
sound of a headache being created. That's what that sound is. Yeah, that is the inside and outside of my head the other day. I, I recorded that because I was so angry about it. The thing, what's annoying about it is, uh, unlike, say, the Vuvuzela, which, yes, it's annoying, but at least the sound carries you, or, or rattles in the old days. Yeah, it, I, I see the point. The thing with those inflatable bats, the noise doesn't carry very far. It's not as if on the TV you can hear thousands of inflatable bats because it's just airy noise so it's only for the basically for that person <laughs> and the people in their immediate vicinity it looks infantile because it looks like oh, you've just discovered the power of your own hands and you're going to bash two sticks together like you're three years old and also it's advertising a tire company so it's like horribly commercial there's nothing joyous about it at all i don't get it yeah you should have just offered to swap it for a foam finger right or inflatable bananas where they just used to sort of wave them around that i guess Inflatables are wonderful things. You know, I watch the supermarket sweep just like the next person. <laughs> I've got no problem with inflatable things per se. It's just having these two things being smashed about the whole time. It's mad. Rob, what about you? What, what's your least favourite sound at a cricket ground? I mean, there is a theme coming through here, which is repeated, relentless noise with no variation. You know, I can cope with most things briefly, but I was once at a Sydney Test match when the Barmy Army were quite in the early days and uh, they started to chant after tea and they kept going for the entire session. And now just imagine that last bit Barmy, army, barmy, going on for two and a half hours because the final session ran over a bit. And they were considerably, they drunk considerably more than I had. It was like a form of old torture. And I do like the Barmy Army so much what they've done, but that chant was horrible. Yeah, there is something about that chant. I think it, the person leading it always sounds like they're very slowly dying. <laughs> That's the weird thing about it. We are the army. It's not an uplifting sound, is it, John? It's not. Although, I mean... And it's one we have all... If you've been to a cricket match, you've oh, yeah. heard that. But, but at the same time, I've got mixed views, and only because I remember in that 05 Ashes when one assumes it annoyed the Aussies even more <laughs> than it would have annoyed English fans. So in that sense, the players, I think, do to some extent appreciate it. The, the interesting thing is... I. Uh, and this genuine question, I don't know. Was it born out of that 80s and 90s period where early England 90s, was so... Yeah. Early 90s, where we were so bad? Mm. That they are, isn't the idea that of the Barmy Army that basically we're going to follow them no matter what? Mm -hmm. Right. So in other words, the man whose picture is on your uh, desk, as always, Emma... <laughs> Mr. Atherton is basically responsible <laughs> for that noise. In that case, he's going to have to come in and defend himself on I this think he, I, I think he should. <laughs> and, and credit to the Barmyar, I think they saw the end of the Mexican wave, which went on for a long time, and that used to really... But I, I don't like it when I'm in a crowd and I think no one else is actually watching the cricket. They're more interested in this thing. And the Mexican wave started in Mexico Football World Cup and spread to cricket. And it's pretty much died out now. But just, I saw whoa. one at Bangladesh, It was at Bangladesh, New Zealand. New Zealand. It was a fast one as well. Yeah. They were loving it. And, I, and my friend has made me do it. My friend James, he 
hates it like you, like you, yeah. and he resolutely sits i think he, he sits lower in his seats in order to try and make a protest and it's infected me so now i i'm now a grouch as well and i i do everything in my power not to join in <laughs> there are celebratory ways and there are just ways we're bored we just want to do something else and sometimes it, the cricket's actually interesting now's not the time for it can i just say to be completely fair to the bangladesh crowd they go nuts for absolutely everything they were cheering singles they were cheering failed DRS reviews. I think they were cheering mid-innings drinks breaks at one point. I think they really were. They would cheer and they were fantastic. I've never seen a more into it crowd. So only Mexican wave is the only my only problem. The, the enthusiasm of the Bangladesh crowd was so great. That literally, I mean, they when the ball was thrown between fielders, between balls, that was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> that was enough. And they were like going mad. It's brilliant. If you come across a worse noise at the cricket this summer, please feel free to record it and email it to us at thespinattheguardian.com. That's it for this episode. When we return, England will have taken on the mighty Bangladesh and will be a third of the way through the group stages. I'll be joined by Ali Martin from The Guardian, funny Aussie Felicity Ward and journalist Anjali Doshi. To make sure you don't miss that or any of the episodes to come, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. But for now, it's just time to thank our guests, Rob Eastaway. Thank you. Thank you. And John Harvey. Thanks very much. And to say goodbye. It's The Spin! The Spin is supported by NatWest. To find out about how NatWest is making it easier for everyone to get involved in cricket, search NatWest Cricket.